Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Welcome to a brand new month and a brand new series called God, a Moral Monster. That title is a question, not a declaration. God, is he something different than what we've thought and what we've been taught? Does God have a PR problem? God, is he a moral monster? Question, why are we considering this? Why this kind of series? After all, we're a church. One would hope we're not in crisis about the character of God, right? One would hope. I want to affirm that Valley Point is not in any type of crisis about God and his character. I have confidence in the truth that the God of the Bible is good. But here's the thing. Sometimes when you read the Bible, particularly the 39 books that make up the Old Testament, you find things that are kind of disturbing. You read things that make you go, what? God did that? God said that? God allowed that? And it doesn't seem to make sense. And it can make us wonder, maybe God isn't good. Maybe he's not. So one of the things you'll hear quite a bit at Valley Point is read your Bible. Even if it's tough, read it. We even start every year with an emphasis on get into the Bible. But here's what I've discovered. People read and often come across something that kind of rocks them a bit. And many of you have come to me at times and said things like this. God is mean sometimes. And there's a lot of killing and death, especially in the Old Testament. And I'm not sure I like this. Sometimes I hear people say, the God of the Old Testament, he seems like an angry deity who is distant and ready to hit the smite button. He's just an angry guy. Maybe you have felt like that. Maybe you feel that way now. Welcome to Valley Point. I'm glad you're here. Let's learn together and discover that God is good. He's so good. And his greatest desire is to be in a relationship with us. In the spirit of full disclosure here, I want to relieve the tension about spilling on the carpet this morning. So on one of our very first Sundays, one of the first Sundays, I took a trash can from the back, walked up front, and left a trail of coffee from front to back. And I was looking around for someone to blame, but I was the only one here in the room, so that's my confession. I'm helping us all break in the carpet. And that's why we put our lights low, so you can't see my spill over here, all right? Well, I am very excited about this particular series that is going to carry us through the month of March. And here's why I'm excited. We get the opportunity together to grow our understanding of God. And whenever we grow our understanding of God, here's something else that happens. Our love for him grows. And that's a great thing. When we have the chance to grow our understanding, which leads to a deepening of our love for God, that is amazing. And that's why I'm so thrilled that all of you are here and that we get the chance to walk through 
this series together. Now, here's what's interesting. I have a lot of conversations with people, and often you come to me and will say things like this. You know, I've been reading in the Bible, and often it's people who are reading in the 39 books that make up the Old Testament or the older portion of the Bible, and you will say things like this. The Old Testament, God seems kind of mean. He's a bully occasionally. And there are some hard sayings there, and I don't quite understand everything that's happening, but God comes across as a little angry. And then often that's followed by the God of the New Testament, though. Well, he is kind and loving and gracious, and he heals people, and he holds little lambs. At least that's what the artwork shows. He's holding lambs and he's talking to children. That's the God of the New Testament. I like him. He's kind and compassionate. But the God of the Old Testament, I am not so sure. And then it kind of brings up this question. Are they actually two different gods? Because the God of the Old Testament seems mean and unkind and ready to hit the smite button at every turn, and the God of the New Testament is loving and gracious, are they actually two different gods? I find that to be a fascinating question. And interestingly enough, it is a question that has been asked before. So I want to go back in history a little bit and review some things with you from the early church and from early Christianity. A guy by the name of Marcion, who lived from A.D. 80 to 160, taught that there actually were two different gods, that the God of the Old Testament was a bully, he was mean, and not a legitimate God, not a God to be worshipped, not a God to be honored or respected in any way. He's just a mean God. But the God of the New Testament, loving and kind, he is worthy of our worship. And so what Marcion basically did was to throw out the entire Old Testament. Don't even worry about that. You don't have to concentrate on that because that's not a legitimate God. We want to focus on the words of Jesus in the New Testament only. So that's what he taught. And he gathered around him some followers who agreed with that. Fortunately, the early church threw out his teachings as heretical by the mid-2nd century. They said, so long to Marcion. You're a little crazy. We don't agree with that. That is not true. And they excommunicated him from the church. Funny story about Marcion. Legend has it that he was somewhat of, a, of an arrogant individual And he approached another early church leader one day by the name of Polycarp. Polycarp did believe that it was the same God in both Testaments. You don't throw out the Old Testament just because God appears to be somewhat unkind. So they didn't agree on that. And legend has it, the story has it, that when Marcion met Polycarp, he said, Hey, do you know who I am? Polycarp, you great leader of the early church, do you know who I am? I have a bit of a following, and I'm kind of important, and I have this theological stance that is unique, and maybe it's true. Do you know who I am? Well, the story has that Polycarp looked at him and said, yeah, I know who you are. You're the firstborn son of the devil. 
Wow, can you imagine? These early first century church leaders weren't messing around with how they interacted. I think Marcion and Polycarp needed our kindness challenge series. Like Polycarp and Marcion, they could have chosen each other for the 30-day challenge, and that would have been good for them. Well, I don't believe that Marcion was the spawn of Satan. I don't believe that. But I do believe that he was wrong and in error about the teachings of the Old Testament. And in this series, we are not going to ignore the Old Testament. We're not going to throw it out. We never have. We're not going to do that now. We're going to dive into some of these controversial passages with no fear. No fear. So let me talk to you about today, just so that you have a sense of how we're going to move through this. I want to begin in just a moment with a big idea that will shape our conversation and guard and guide our time together. So we'll deal with a big idea. After that, I want to talk to you about some names of God, like Yahweh and Jesus. You're probably all familiar with the name Jesus, the name Yahweh I'll talk to you about in just a moment. It's fascinating and gives us a picture into what God is like, which, by the way, is good news for all of us. So there's a lot of good news coming today. After that, we're going to ask and answer the question, is God, and in particular, is the God of the Old Testament angry? Is he angry? The short answer to that is yes. The God of the Old Testament and even the God of the New Testament, they get angry and we'll kind of think through that a little bit and we'll ask why and I believe that will make sense in just a moment. After all of that, we will wrap up our time with some helpful takeaways. So this is our day. Making sense? Big idea that will guide our time We'll talk about Yahweh and Jesus. We'll ask the question, is the God of the Old Testament an angry God? Is he an angry deity? And then we'll get into some takeaways. All right, here's our big idea for today. I want to go back to your best spiritual year. This has been a theme since January, and this is something we should desire. We want to have our best spiritual year, which will indeed lead to our best year. So your best spiritual year will require intentionally choosing to deepen your friendship with God. And when I make that decision, when you make that decision, I think good things can happen to us and we will indeed have our best spiritual year. I think the question becomes how. How do you intentionally choose to deepen your friendship with God? Well, it's by understanding him more. So let's do that. Let's grow our understanding of God, which will also grow our love for him, all of which is good. Let's begin with some names of God. In the Old Testament, there are different Hebrew names for God, The primary name we find in the Old Testament for God is the name Yahweh. Again, that's a Hebrew word. It's important for us to understand that the Bible was not written in English. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and 
a little bit of Aramaic, but mostly Hebrew. And so it's not odd at all that we would have a Hebrew name for God. And again, he's called other things, but the primary name used for God in the Old Testament is Yahweh. And so throughout our time together, I'm going to do my best when referring to the God of the Old Testament to call him Yahweh, because that is indeed his name. What we find in the New Testament is that the primary name used for God is the name Jesus, which is a Greek word that reflects the Hebrew name Jeshua or Joshua. From that, we get the name Jesus, and that is the primary name used of God in the New Testament. We see Jesus used more than Christ or Lord. And again, I think most of us are familiar with the name Jesus. So Yahweh, the primary Old Testament name for God, and Jesus, the primary New Testament name for God. And those are the names that I will use as we move through our time together. Now, I firmly believe without any shadow of a doubt that Yahweh and Jesus are the same God. So there's not different gods in the different testaments, but they do have different names based on the language that we find there. And so as we move through the series, I will use those two different names because that's what scripture does. Okay? Make sense? Now, here's what's amazing. And I really want you to think about this. So if you've turned, you know, tuned out a little bit, Marcion, Polycarp, AD, 80, whatever, if this isn't making sense, Hebrew, Greek, I want you to Tune back in for just a moment because here's what I find amazing. Yahweh, the Old Testament name for God primarily, and Jesus, the primary New Testament name for God, these are personal names. So whenever we see Yahweh being used in the Old Testament, it's like the first name of God. And when we see Jesus being used, it's a personal name. It's like being on a first-name basis with God. So does this tell us anything about the character of God? Absolutely it does. And this is what is so fun and so thrilling about studying all of this, is that I think when you look at these names, Yahweh and Jesus, it reveals to us and clearly communicates that God wants to be on a first-name basis with his creation. Amazing God, he wants to be on a first-name basis with me. No. No. Yes. And God wants to be on a first-name basis with you as well. That tells us how much he wants to know us. And if you've never heard that before, just know that you have a creator, God, Yahweh, Jesus, And he wants to be on a first-name basis with you. He wants to know you. That is great news for all of us. These are intimate names. Now, because I'm a pastor, people will occasionally come to me and say, what are we supposed to call you? Do we call you Pastor Kohler or Reverend Kohler or something like that? And I normally look at people, even if I don't know them well, and say, please, just call me Eric. I like that. It means we're on a first-name basis, and let's keep it relational. I just like that. So please, if you're wondering what to call me, just call me Eric, all right? We can be on a first-name basis. We'll keep it that way. 
if you ever have a conversation with me and you close it by saying, have a great day, Eric, and I look at you and say, actually, that should be have a great day, Reverend Kohler. (laughs) Now, if that happens, all right, if I do that, you should slap me in the face (laughs) or throat punch me or whatever you want to do because I've lost my marbles And the kindness challenge is over, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. Let's just keep it relational, all right? Think about this now. God, the one who is over all and above all, the creator and inventor of everything, he wants to be on a first-name basis with us. That is great news. And with that as the backdrop, again, Yahweh, the primary name used of God in the Old Testament, Jesus, the primary name used of God in the New Testament. These are personal, intimate names. It's what he wants us to call him. With that as the backdrop, let's now ask the question, is God angry? Is God angry? And so to help us think through that, I want you to take your Bible or your device and find Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament. Again, we're going to spend a majority of our time during the month of March in the Old Testament looking at some of these controversial subjects and topics. So this is the second book in the Old Testament. If you go to the front cover and find the book of Genesis, that's the first book. If you keep turning to the right, eventually you'll find the book of Exodus. A wonderful Old Testament book. And here's what it does. It shares the story of the exit of God's people from slavery in Egypt to freedom. Hundreds of years of slavery, generation after generation after generation, all they knew as Israelites was slavery. And they cried out to God. Scripture tells us God heard them. He heard their cries. And he raised up a leader by the name of Moses and his brother Aaron And they went in and freed God's people from slavery. This is the story that we find in Exodus and them being established as a new nation before God. Well, what we find in chapter 32 is that they run into some issues and some problems as they're relating to God. So follow along as I read this story. This is Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. It says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain. So Moses is on the mountain. He's having a personal conversation with Yahweh. They're talking. But the people got a little frustrated. It was taking long. And so they gathered around Aaron, who was the brother of Moses, as well as the priest. And they said to Aaron, come on, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to that guy, Moses. Like, he went up the mountain, and he's gone. We're not hearing from him anymore. We don't know what happened to this fellow, Moses, who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, okay, here's the deal. Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. Oh, well, this sounds like a great idea, the people said. So all the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron, the priest, Don't forget, he's a religious leader. Verse 4, then Aaron took the gold, he melted it down, 
and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf, and then he announced, Tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord, and that word Lord is the word Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. So somehow we'll make a festival to him with this calf. Verse 6, the people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. That sounds like the, uh, a name of a great heavy metal band, doesn't it? Pagan revelry! I, I mean, this is a party that's happening here now. We've got the calf, and people are just losing it. So Yahweh's, he's on the mountain with Moses. And the Lord, in verse 7, Yahweh told Moses, Quick, quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold, and they made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord, then Yahweh said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. And here it comes, verse 10, a troubling verse. Verse 10, now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. There's the word anger. Leave me alone. So my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Wow. These are my big eyes right here. This is as big as my eyes get. Like, what? Angry Yahweh, right? Leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Angry Yahweh don't you think? Well, I want to give us all a grid for evaluating when we come across these angry Yahweh verses. Again, I believe this grid will grow our understanding of God. When we grow our understanding of him, our love for him grows as well. So we come across these verses. Here it is. Yahweh is angry, fierce anger, and he even wants to destroy people. This does not sound like a great God. Well, let's walk through the grid and evaluate what's happening here. So first of all, we have to ask the question, why is Yahweh angry? And generally, we can discover in the text, in the full story of what is being shared, that there is a legitimate reason for Yahweh being upset, and we'll talk about that. So we have to ask, why is Yahweh angry? Secondly, wait for it. Wait for it. We have to get the whole story. And often we pick on little verses, and when we do that, we can really misinterpret what is happening. I hope nobody chose Exodus 32, verse 10 as a life verse. Probably not a great life verse, but you know, maybe you needed it for whatever reason. I'm not sure. But we want to be careful to not just look at verse 10 and say, well, here is... Yahweh, and he has blazing anger, and he wants to destroy his people. 
Not a God I want to serve. Not a God that I want to respect and honor and worship. Well, if we just look at verse 10, you might be able to conclude that, but wait for it. Get the whole story. And then thirdly, we can't resolve everything, but I do believe we can seek to understand. So we can't always explain it, can't resolve it, but we can and we should seek to understand. That's the grid. Ask the question, why is Yahweh angry? Wait for it, get the full story, and then we can't resolve everything, but we can seek to understand. What I want to do now is I want to go back to Exodus 32 and take that grid and lay it over our verses and come to some conclusions. All right? The question, why is Yahweh angry? Well, if you were to go back a few chapters to Exodus chapter 20, what you would discover here is that the Ten Commandments for covenant community are given from God to his people. The Ten Commandments. By the way, one of those commandments is don't have any other gods before me. Don't worship idols. Don't put anything in front of me. Well, they're violating that here. That's one of the commandments. And there's others like don't murder and don't covet. And that's the Ten Commandments. And you see that in Exodus chapter 20. Well, sometimes we kind of read that. All right, those are great rules to live by. We should be doing that stuff. But we often miss the value of what that meant for God and his people. He was making a covenant with them. They made a commitment together. Yes, we see the 10 rules and we will live this way. It was a covenant. It was a contract. It was very similar or is very similar to a marriage contract or a marriage covenant. We are in this together. We will remain faithful to each other this way. And then it's like God's people committed adultery on the honeymoon by worshiping other idols. Imagine. Anger. Right? That's actually what's happening here. And so when you think about the question, why is Yahweh angry, those people have sinned. It's an offense to him. Secondly, wait for it. Get the whole story. Get the whole story. When you walk through this great book that, again, describes the exit of God's people from slavery, one of the things that really strikes you is that God loves his people. He cares deeply for them. He heard their cries. Again, generation after generation after generation of Israelites, all they know is slavery, and they cried out to God. He heard their cries. He delivers them. And then as they are trying to find a way to cross an uncrossable sea, here comes the greatest fighting and trained army in the known world at that time, the Egyptians, Pharaoh's army. They were really good at war, and they're bearing down on a group of nomads, basically, defenseless slaves. That's all they were. 
And God recognizes that, and he takes care of the greatest fighting army in the world trying to attack people who had never been trained in warfare because they had been slaves for generations. And then God helps them cross an uncrossable sea. When they get on the other side, they have no food. And God knows that, and he has food fall from heaven to feed them. God is really loving his people and taking great care of them when they are defenseless and hopeless, and then this, they assume the worst about God. Moses, he's up there doing whatever, and we need a God to worship. They assume the worst about God. They sinned, and it made Yahweh mad. So you got to wait for it. You got to get the whole story. Thirdly, we can't resolve everything, but we can seek to understand. This is fascinating to me. When the people are saying, These are the gods. And they're looking at this golden calf that they fashioned from their own jewelry. These are the gods that brought us out of slavery. Yahweh had to be thinking, what? Like, that is ridiculous. You fashioned that. I'm the one who did this for you. They failed to honor him appropriately, and it made him mad. I don't think we can resolve that, but... We can understand, and we should. So why is Yahweh angry? Well, they violated the covenant. Wait for it. God continually provided, and they assumed the worst. And we need to seek to understand why Yahweh is so upset. We can't resolve that, but we should think through it. Now, here are some thinking points on God's anger, and I would encourage you to fill in these blanks. Number one, Yahweh's anger often initiates change. And that's exactly what we see here in Exodus chapter 32. A change does come that is good. Yahweh's anger often initiates change. Secondly, don't forget about the patience of Yahweh. Again, often we find these verses and, well, that's disturbing. and I don't think I like that and I don't know about this God. What we find in Scripture is that the overarching theme and description of God is that he is beyond patient with people, giving them time to change and turn back to him. And this is exactly what happens. God doesn't wipe out his people. He doesn't destroy them. If you turn to Exodus chapter 34, you find in verse 5, it says, Then the Lord... Yahweh came down in a cloud and stood there with him. Talking to Moses again. So Yahweh came down in a cloud, stood there with Moses, and he called out his own name. Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And what we find is that God and the people recommit to the marriage. They recommit to the contract and the covenant. By the way, I love this phrase here in verse 6 where Yahweh says, I am slow to anger. That is a unique collection of Hebrew words that mean long-nosed. Long, meaning patient, nose indicating the face or the countenance of Yahweh, and the nostrils are not flaring. 
They're not moving because he's no longer upset. He is expressing his patience. He is long-nosed. Now, my kids tell me I have a long nose, but not because I'm patient. It's because my nose is actually long. Our kids have a great way of boosting our confidence sometimes, don't they? God, he's long in the nose. He's patient. And yes, nostrils do flare, but the overarching theme of Scripture is that he is very patient and merciful to us. Again, great news, great news. Thirdly, anger and love are not mutually exclusive. I think as parents, we kind of understand this. Anger and love are not mutually exclusive. I think it's fair to say that Yahweh, yes, Yahweh, the Old Testament God, gets angry. I believe he gets angry because he cares. Right? I want a God who cares. I want a God who has some passion in him. And I believe Yahweh gets angry because he cares. And there is always a legitimate reason for his anger. Sin, injustice, oppression, evil, and the list could go on. These are legitimate reasons for Yahweh to be angry. So yes, he gets angry. But I think he gets angry because he cares, and he is consistently described as patient. Two takeaways. Number one, understand. Let's grow our understanding of Yahweh, okay? Because when we do that, our love for him will also grow. So understand there are things that upset Yahweh. Sin, injustice, oppression, evil, those things upset him, and he gets upset. He becomes angry, and the nostrils flare because he cares. But let's also marvel. Marvel that Yahweh wants to be on a first-name basis with you and is overwhelmingly described as patient. So the challenge this week join me. Let's understand. Let's do that. And let's marvel. Marvel at a God who wants to be on a first name basis with me and is very patient with us, giving us time to come back to him. Father, we want to thank you for what we discover in Exodus chapter 32 and chapter 34. You're described as being patient. You care, so you do get angry over sin, injustice, oppression, and evil. That happens, but yet you are overwhelmingly described as patient with us. God, I know that I benefit from that. I'm sure everybody in the room would agree they benefit from that as well. God, I just pray as we move through this series where we look at some troubling passages, help us to have an open mind. And God, I pray that you'd help us to use this grid for evaluating the things that disturb us about God, especially in the Old Testament, that we would be willing to use that evaluation grid to help us look to you and respond to your greatness and point our hearts in your direction. God, help us to do that this week. Help us to understand 
grow that. God, help us to marvel as well at you, a God who wants to be on a first-name basis with us. Great news, and you are patient. So help us to understand and marvel this week, we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.